you to Pastor Gary and Nancy for asking me to speak again. <laughs> and it's wonderful to see everyone here tonight, all my dear friends. And I just welcome everybody out there who's watching by live stream. Welcome. Good to have you. And God's given me something to share with you tonight. But before I get into that, I'm just going to get you to confess something. And it's from Luke chapter 4. I think you probably know what this is, but it's starting at verse 18. And for the folks in the sound booth, if it's important, I'm going to be mainly using the New King James Bible. Okay. So this is the New King James. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a verse, and then I'll get you to repeat it after me. Okay. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was awesome. <laughs> That's not really what I'm talking about it tonight, but I just thought that is such a wonderful declaration. And I thought I'm going to have to say that almost every day myself, because just to remind me, that is our mission. It was Jesus' mission, and it's our mission, right? Yeah. Amen. Well, I thought it'd be kind of fun tonight to start in Leviticus, because <laughs> that's, that's one of our favorite books, right? <laughs> Some parts of it. And, you know, we always joke about Leviticus because there's a lot of detail in there that we kind of think it belongs to the Jews, but maybe it doesn't really apply to us that much. And so I know I kind of skim over a lot of it when I'm reading it. But I do know that there, there's something good there. I'm just not seeing it most of the time, but there are good things. So I got a devotional from a Jewish person, speaking on this portion I'm going to do um, here in Le Leviticus 11, verses 1 to 8. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that, there should be a bigger woo-hoo for Leviticus. Leviticus, come on. <laughs> so I'm going to read it to you. It's not going to sound all that exciting, but... When I got this devotional, I realized there's more to this portion of scripture than what I thought. And I got to studying it and meditating on it and was drawing some good stuff out of it. And that word stuff is for Dawn out there if she's listening. It's a little private joke. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be an intro into what I want to speak on tonight, what the Lord gave me. So I'm just going to read verses 1 to 8 here. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. 
Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud, or those who, that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, it is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, and it is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, and it's unclean to you. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch, they are unclean to you. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a mystery when you read all that stuff. You kind of get lost in all those words there. But basically, there's sort of three categories of animals here. There are those that are clean, and they have two um, signs to them, if you will. They chew the cud, and they have cloven hooves. Then there's ones that just chew the cud, but don't have cloven hooves. And there's one with cloven hooves, which is just one animal that they mention, actually, in that category, but doesn't chew the cud. So I did a little bit of studying up on chewing the cud and cloven hooves. You know, it's not something I know a whole lot about, really. <laughs> so I didn't go too deep, but I, I found some interesting facts that I saw can apply to us. So chewing the cud... Um, when this uh, Jewish person sent me the email, they, they called it an inner sign. It's an inner sign of sort of their digestive system. They have a unique digestive system that allows them to chew something and bring it back up again and chew it. So you do see them chewing the cud, so you know that that's the kind of digestive system they have. And these are some of the th things that I found out about chewing the cud. It is for their overall health, productivity, it regulates their digestive system. Now, the animals that are considered clean, um, we get a better list of them in Deuteronomy 14. There's, I'm just going to name them here, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and mountain sheep. So these probably were animals native to Israel that they were familiar with. And it helps them to produce more milk, for instance, if they chew the cud. And it enables them to bring more nutrients out of the food and into their system. So it's, they're probably healthy animals to eat. And Pastor Paul, they're all herbivores. That means they eat vegetation, okay? But, so... But when you eat them, you're getting the benefit of that vegetation that they eat. So, <laughs> But, you know, when I looked up the definition of chew the cud in the dictionary, although it talks about animals that chew the cud, it also says to think about something repeatedly. You know, you may have heard people use chew the cud as an expression for thinking and mulling things over in your mind, and, and we all know that can be used in a really negative way. But think about meditating on the Word of God. That's what I'm thinking about here. We can meditate on God and His Word. And so that is 
although it's something that's going on internally, like the digestive system of these animals, it can be seen on our faces just as they're chewing the cud. We should be able to see something on our face and in our lives that indicates that we've been chewing the cud, you know. <laughs> now, the cloven hooves is another sign. Um, the hooves, they're, they're split in two, and they provide traction so that the animal can walk on high, craggy places. It provides propulsion, supports the body weight of sort of the larger animals like oxen and cattle, and it helps the limbs to stay strong and healthy. And I happened to just see, it just came up in my YouTube feed, um, a little video on mountain goats. They are amazing animals. And they can go high and get vegetation where other animals can't go. And they are just holding on to those little craggy spots with their cloven hooves, and they can just go up pretty much a vertical wall and come down a vertical wall, too. So they are absolutely amazing creatures. Now, David wrote about this in Psalm 18, verse 33. He said, He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on my high places. Or, uh, this is in the, new, in the Living Bible, it says, He gives me the sure-footedness of a mountain goat upon the crags. He leads me safely along the top of the cliffs. And so David would, I'm sure, be familiar with deer. They were very swift, graceful animals. And he, as a warrior, would benefit from being swift. I don't know, nowadays it's... The thing, but when you were in a warrior in David's time, you needed to be fast on your feet and be able to get away and chase your enemies. So that was a great advantage to him. In Habakkuk 19, he basically says the same thing. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. And you know, that applies to us as we are meditating the word as we're spending time with God and hearing from him, we can go up higher with God. We can go places that we normally wouldn't be able to go. So there's a little message for us in those clean animals. And the, the ones that aren't clean, you know, some of them chew the cud, but there's no outward sign. They're just chewing the cud. And in the case of the swine, it's got the cloven hooves. It looks good on the outside. It's doing all the right stuff, but nothing's going on on the inside. So we don't want to be like that. We want to be like the clean animals, chew the cud, and climb those high places with God. So the, the word that God gave me to share tonight, he gave me a title. It's called Knowing God. And... He gave this, this to me in the middle of the night. You know, talk about meditating. Sometimes, I don't know if you people go through this, but I just wake up in the middle of the night and I can't get back to sleep. So I figure I might as well not waste that time, so I like to meditate. I think about what I was reading that day in our Go Through the Bible in a Year schedule. And I get a lot of stuff in the middle of the night, but one night... He just downloaded this to me. He didn't give me all the details, but he kind of gave me an outline. He said, I want you to call it Knowing God. Yeah. 
you know, pretty simple. And so my main scripture for this is John 17, 3. This is a well-known scripture. It says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life, yes, we're all going to live forever, but in this case, we're going to live forever knowing God, knowing God forever. Isn't that amazing? And, yes. and it will probably take us forever just to scratch the surface of getting to know God because he is so awesome. Now, the Greek word, I'm going to give you a little Greek tonight, not too much, is I think gnosko. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And it means to know, perceive, understand. And when you look at the different places this word is used, it's used of the intimacy in a marriage relationship. So it's a very close, intimate knowledge of God that he's talking about here. There are other words or Greek words in the New Testament that are no, but they're different words, not the same one. As a matter of fact, just a little fact here, I was looking in Dakes, and apparently in the Bible, the word no, knowledge, known, etc., appears 1,486 times, so it's important to know some things about God. Amen. And you know, um, Pastor Nancy, well, quite a few months ago, she encouraged us to read the Ephesians prayers, you know? And I don't know that I do it every day, but maybe every second day, I don't know. <laughs> but it's so easy when you get something like that and you're doing it every day to just kind of rush through it and rattle it off. And I found I really have to slow down and pray it slowly and think about it. Think about what I'm praying. And Amen. yeah, chew the cud. <laughs> and I pray for myself, I pray for you folks, my family when I'm praying it, but I just want to quote one of the verses, it's Ephesians 1.17, and it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Wow. Now, the, there is a different Greek word here for knowledge. It's epinosis, precise, correct knowledge of things ethical or divine. That's what it means. So there are things that we can, we can know God, but there are things that we can know about God that helps us to know God. And so as we spend time in the Word, as we are led by the Holy Spirit, we get to know God better. If we obey Him we have a greater knowledge of him as well as he's directing our lives. Now, when I was preparing this, I had so many scriptures, like there's just so many. And I thought, God, I can't do this to the people. They'll walk out on me. I've got so many scriptures. So I just help, asked him to help me streamline it. So I'm not going to give you tons of scriptures about knowing God. But one thing um, I came across that I wanted to share with you is it's actually a testimony of Rick Renner. Like how many of you know Rick Renner here? Pretty much everybody. And Rick Renner's kind of famous for teaching the word and bringing out all those Greek words in great detail. But this one I 
came across quite a few years ago, and it really impressed me, was a testimony. It wasn't, I don't think there was a Greek word in the whole testimony. And he, I don't know, some of you may have heard this, but he said back in 2008, um, you know, he was pioneering and well into pioneering a work in Russia. And, you know, they were doing awesome things, very successful, but it was very, very hard work. And he said that he and his wife never took a vacation for 15 years. They worked seven days a week. They never took a day off. And he even looked down on one of his uh, employees who took one day off a week. So you can imagine, eventually it catches up with you when you do something like that. Now, nothing really terrible happened to him, but through a, a set of circumstances, God just opened his eyes to what was going on, and he had to deal with it. And he, and he repented to God, he talked to his wife, and then he called in a couple men who were really over him in the faith. They were like mentors in his lives, and they came, and they met with him, and they said, today, you and your wife are going on a six-month sabbatical, which he said, you know, for a guy who works seven days a week and is on the go all the time. He said, yeah, I, I, my body was, might have been taken a sabbatical, but my mind wasn't. His mind was going a million miles. <laughs> so it takes a while to, maybe that's why he needed six months, you know. But also, they gave him some habits, daily habits, so that he would not slip back into just going through life robotically and just going through the motions. Kind of like what Jim was sharing. You're, you're behind the pole there. <laughs> With, and it happens to people. I mean, it happened to Rick Renner, you know. Uh, you know. So it can happen to any one of us. So I wanted to share that uh, he said there were seven things to do every day to become spiritually strong. And when you, when you hear a list like that, you think, oh, no, seven things I got to do every day. Oh, my goodness. But really, they're not that difficult, and you're probably already doing a lot of them anyways. But it's important to do these things to stay connected to God and stay plugged in. So the first one is probably one we all know. It's He said, spend time with God every morning. And don't know what everybody's mornings are like, but... Some of us have more time than others. I remember when I was working, and I had to get up very early. I had kids. I had a husband. I had to go to work. And I really had to make a point to get to bed at a decent hour, have everything ready the night before, and get up. And really, I only had about 15 minutes with God in the morning, but it's better than nothing. And what I do now is, I, even before I get out of bed, I start talking to God. I start thanking Him. You know, Psalm 5.3 says, this is so awesome, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. See, it causes us to look up, to look at God. You know, no matter what you're facing. It, you know, Tiffany was sharing this a few weeks ago. She said she likes to have that time in the morning for herself and her children and it sets the tone for the day. And Psalm 92, 1 and 2, it says, It is good 
to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. And I find when you do that, it helps to keep your heart tender before God when you're opening yourself up to God in the morning and declaring his loving kindness over your day. And then at night, before you go to bed, it, it doesn't have to be a long time, but thank him for his faithfulness. Think about what his goodness that day and thank him for it. So that's the simple thing. It doesn't have to take a lot of time, and it probably will involve some prayer in reading the word. But it doesn't have to be overwhelming. You can pray the word that you're reading. You can just pray simple prayers. So don't over, I think people, we tend to get kind of religious in our heads and overwhelm ourselves, but it doesn't have to be overwhelming. The next one he said was spend time feeding your spirit on other sources because this helps you to grow. So probably most of us do that. We, we get the devotionals from Pastor Paul where we might be reading a book, listen to a CD. There's just no end to the information that's out there for us now. I mean, I'm sure that everybody does that anyways, but it's good. You know, it, it helps you to grow and hear how other people in the body of Christ are ministering, and they're going to say something that's going to help you. Now, the third one, I think... Jim talked about this last week. It's a really good one. Spend some time in quietness, reflecting on where you are and where you want to go. You know, in this busy world, we may think, you know, how could I ever do that? <laughs> you got a house full of kids, you're at work, where am I going to be quiet? Well, I found when my kids were little, the bathroom was a good place yeah, to go, yeah. you know, <laughs> spend a lot of time in the bathroom. <laughs> or you can go for a walk. You could be driving your car. Now, pay attention, but you can still be thinking. And it's not always even talking to God, but just thinking about where you want to go in life, what your dreams are. You know, it's a good time to do some imagining but just being quiet and thinking. We don't do that enough, do we? You know, people, um, you know, when you do that, I think that's how I got saved. I had to stop and think. You know, you, Pastor Nancy, you were, you were saying the other day, you know, you were asking yourself, what am I here for? What's the purpose? You know, people ask that question, and God hears you asking that question, and he kind of maneuvers people and circumstances and situations so that you get an answer to that question, and then it's your choice what you do with it. So Rick said, don't be a robot, but think about things. We, you know, don't get in a rut, but think. And he, he gave a scripture. I never would have thought of this, but Proverbs 27, 19, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. So it helps you to get in touch with your heart. You know, it says, be still and know that I am God. That's another good one. And this is what he said about himself. Much activity with no pause leads to spiritual dullness and confusion. 
I thought that was good. No? Now, number four, he said, spend time with those who strengthen your soul. That's what we're doing tonight. We're spending time with each other. And he even used um, that verse in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, we think about church when we, we read that, don't we? But really, it, you could be getting together with your Christian friends in, in other ways. You know, the men come for prayer on Saturday. Um, you might just go out for a coffee with someone, call somebody on the phone, send them a text, email them. There's ways we can encourage one another. And for him, he said, every day he does this. And you can be somebody who strengthens somebody else, and somebody else will strengthen you. That's why we need one another, and we need to come together. You know, I was talking to a woman last week. I've known her for quite a few years. I don't know her really well. And um, she was telling me, well, I guess because of COVID, and I think a lot of Christians have this problem because of COVID, have kind of ended up not in church for a couple years, and they don't even maybe have a church right now, and they, they probably get some fellowship. And she was wanting to make some important decisions in her life, and she says, you know, I don't really have anyone to talk to about this. I don't have anybody in my life who I, I really think I can trust and talk to, that, that's kind of a sad state of affairs, and I think there's a lot of Christians out there in that boat, you know. So I'm very thankful that I've got a church full of people, <laughs> especially our pastors, our elders. We've got people here that if, if you needed to talk to somebody about something important, there are people here that can help you and give you advice. And number six, this may not apply to you, but it applied to him, learn to say no to the things you're not supposed to do. And in his case, he said, he said yes to everybody. He double-booked himself a, a lot of times because he said, afraid to say no and hurt somebody's feelings. And I think we do that a lot of time. We're, we're, it's more about the fear of man in a way, you know, we don't want to say no. But we have to learn to do that. And then to say yes when we're supposed to say yes. So that comes from having a relationship with God. When we know God, he'll give us direction and tell us when to say no. And the last one he mentioned was pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 5, 17 to 20. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. <laughs> so we can sing songs to ourselves. Number five, um, you know what? I don't have a number five here. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry about that, but I don't even know what number five is. But there were seven. There were seven. I'm just trying to think, but anyways. 
I know it, I had it in the wrong, I had written it down by hand and I had it in the wrong order and so I switched it around, but yeah, but they're good. If you can do those six, you're doing good, okay? <laughs> so when I was preparing this, there was a line from a movie that kept coming to me. And it's sort of um, inspired by Psalm 1611, where David said, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I thought I'd Google it this morning when I got up. And since everything is on Google, there it was you know, like 15 times, you know, so <laughs> I thought, I wonder if I'll find it. Well, of course I found it, you know. So um, this is a line from the movie um, Chariots of Fire. Is there anyone here who hasn't seen Chariots of Fire or heard it? You haven't seen it, Pastor Mary? Oh. Yeah, it is an awesome movie. It is an awesome movie. And it's a true story. It won the Academy Award. And one of the people that it's about, there are two men that are runners, and they were, it was back in the 1920s, and they were from the UK, and they were going to run in the Olympics. They were, the one guy that had the awesome line in the movie, Eric Little, is a Christian, and he was considered at the time to be the fastest man in the world. And so he was from Scotland. Scotland had never won a gold medal before, and all their hopes were pinned on Eric Little to run in the Olympics and win this medal for their nation. And because he was a very deeply committed Presbyterian, he, didn't, he couldn't do his athletic activities on what he called the Sabbath. He wouldn't run on the Sabbath. And so, um, as it turned out, his heat for the event that he excelled in, which was the 100 meters, was on a Sunday. And he told them, he told the Olympic Committee, the Prince of Wales, said, I cannot run on the Sabbath. I have to honor God. And they were very upset, but... He was honoring God. That was it. That was more important to him than winning a gold medal. Now, when he was practicing and running, you see him running in the movie on a track with the team, but he's also running just through the hills and dales of Scotland. And his sister, who was kind of a religious gal, she wanted him to go to China as a missionary. So he meets up with her, and he tells her, I am going to go to China as a missionary, but before I do, I'm going to go to the Olympics. And he said, this is his famous line, God made me for a purpose. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. You know, now there is a man who has a relationship with God, that he, in his running, he sensed the pleasure of the Lord. I mean, that was just, that blew me away. And so he goes to the Olympics and he has to run in a race that is not his best race. You know, in practice, he never had a great time. 
And so at the beginning of the race, you see the, the U, United States fellow was, I guess, favored to win this race. It was 400 meters. And his coach says to him, don't worry about little. He'll come out fast, but he won't be able to finish. But another teammate of the U.S. competitor went to the U.S. fellow that was favored to win, and he said, look, don't count him out. He has something to prove. And so this American gave Little a little note at the beginning of the race, and he said, he who honors God, God will also honor and Eric Little went on, went on to win the gold medal and break the world record. He just flew the whole time, <laughs> 400 meters. So it's just, you know, the movie kind of ends there, and they repeat this great line in the movie, when I run, I feel his pleasure. And Eric did go on to be a missionary in China, and... He, he probably did an awesome work in China, but he ended up in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And he, he lived for the Lord. He, he was, the people who were there with him said he was an amazing man. He was like a leader there. Everybody respected him. But um, he did die in the camp, but he had a chance to get out. Winston Churchill had arranged some kind of prisoner exchange and they were going to get Eric out because he was very ill. But he refused to go, and he said, take this pregnant woman instead. And they took her, and he died in, in the camp. But he did write something. I just wanted to read you a few quotes from what he wrote, just based on what we're talking about tonight. He, he wrote a, a book. Now, it kind of is an austere title. It says, The Disciplines of the Christian Life. But it's not a, a drudgery to read this book. He says, The new birth that Jesus speaks of when he tells Nicodemus in the book of John that we must be born again. He says, Christianity is not discipline, although discipline enters into it. Christianity is not morality, but the moral laws will be followed. Christianity is not following a great example, but this will be done. Christianity is not living by laws or rules. It is living by grace. True Christianity starts with the new birth. You must be born again. The new birth is God coming into your life and giving you a new nature, a nature of love to God and man. Nothing in life can make up for the lack of this. Nothing can take its place. And then he goes on to say, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and I do not have love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Without love and God, I am nothing. Marvel not that I said unto you that you must be born again. So Christianity is not living by laws or rules. It is living by grace. And he concludes with this summary of what it means to be a born-again Christian. Christian living is made possible by the new birth. You can never understand the meaning of Christian living until God comes into your life. 
Christian living is bound up with Christian faith, personal faith in God, which brings his power into your life. It is not mere commandments that a Christian lives, but by a new spirit in his heart. And so the person who wrote this article just ends by saying, and what does all of this have to do with us? Who work at Walmart, who work for the city of Halifax, who are retired, who are looking after children. What does this have to do with us? Simply this, God made you a certain way and put you here for a reason, which is to know him and discover your purpose and, ex- and to experience his pleasure in doing so. So that's our challenge tonight, to know him, to know his pleasure, to do his will, to find his will and to do it and to know his pleasure. And I was thinking, Dutch Sheets wrote a book called The Pleasure of His Company. He wants us to know the pleasure of his company. And that is my prayer for myself and all of you. (laughs) Because what's the point if we don't know him and know his pleasure? We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.